The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. You ever hear Walter Harvey makes Harvey bars? He's starting a girls' baseball league. So we can make a buck while the boys are overseas. Want to play? Huh? How hard can it be to make a lineup? Come on. Oh, yeah? Well, why don't you do it, Oregon? Me? Yeah, you. All right, May, center field, lead off. She's good. There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I am Tobin Addington. And I'm Aislinn Addington. And this evening, today, this morning, whenever you're listening, um, <laughs> we have two uh, famous and fantastic guests with us today. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Cage Club's own Mike and Joey. Hello. Hello there. Hi. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We've never had two guests before, have we? Really? New ground. I thought we did once. Wow. I Oh, we did. No, we were going to, but they they couldn't both oh, join us. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. So this is all kinds of all kinds. It's like it's a second because you're both returning and a first because we have four and you're here together and this is very exciting. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Synergy. pressure. A lot of brands Brand synergy here. Uh, and we are here today to talk about, uh, to, we're staying in 1992 after last, last week's film, but uh, but a very different movie this time. We're going to be talking about Penny Marshall's League of Their Own. I'd first like to know sort of what everybody's history is with this movie, when you first saw it, your experience of it over the over the years. And uh, yeah, what, what brings you to our show tonight? Aislinn, when did you first see League of Their Own? I believe we saw it at the same time. I think um, we did. I believe this is a movie that uh, uh, we went to as a nuclear family. I believe mm-hmm. all four of us went, which um, happens sometimes, but it's hard to find something that really speaks to all of us. Yes. Um, and as I was watching this uh, in preparation yesterday, I thought to myself, this is kind of that perfect, you know, Disney-ish, if you will, Um like family movie where there is a little something for everybody here. Um, so it, it makes sense to me that, um, that we would have watched it uh, all together in the theater, as I recall. Um, yep. What I didn't realize until watching it yesterday was how well I know this movie. So mm, in addition to us going in the theater together, we must have um, rented it, if not owned it at a certain point and watched it many, many times because I knew all the lines and I didn't anticipate that I knew I had seen it several times, but I didn't realize how much of it is in my head, which made me happy. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've seen it many, many times apparently or a few and it's just really, really stuck for me. So I believe we saw it in 1992 at a matinee when my mom probably had licorice uh, stash in her purse. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that tracks that all tracks. And yeah, we did own, for sure own a VHS copy of this. This is this oh, is okay, uh, a movie that got put on like Sunday afternoons. I think you know with with some regularity. Probably, uh, probably while we were braiding my hair. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which may be why you know the lines. Your sort of head was was down as you were be. being as your your hair is being braided. Uh, Mike, what about you? What's your history with the League of Their Own? Uh, so my persona on the Cage Club Network is that of someone who's not very much into sports movies. It's changing, uh, though. It, it has changed. <laughs> but that's that's not entirely the case. Exactly. Um, I saw this in theaters, actually, back in the day. Um, I went with my buddy. Um, I mean, I had grown up playing Little League and baseball. It was always a part of my childhood. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I remember just sitting there sort of like, mesmerized in a lot of ways like just it's such a fantastic movie it's so well made and it's really well crafted and there's so much great talent and um like i don't know i recognized a lot of the actors like i was a gina davis fan from beetlejuice and stuff and i mean madonna i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> i had seen some of her previous work so uh but i remember it being like a big deal she was in here sort of like a stunt casting thing and then everyone's like wait a minute like she works really well here. Like what's happening? Um, and then Rosie is great. Like, um, yeah. And, and, you know, like Iceland, like I, I found myself sort of like, like um, talking along to this movie. Like I was mm-hmm. like quoting it like a lot and stuff. And I just like really also realized I really knew this movie very well. Uh, I just think it was a fixture. It was like one of those movies we took to the shore over the summer and just like was on HBO a ton. And, you know, you sit down and you catch five minutes and before you know it, you've watched the whole movie. It's like that kind of thing to me. Um, and it's got that kind of vibe. So I had a great time rewatching it. I'm really glad to be here talking about it. So yeah, a lot of good fun. Cool. Joey, how about you? I saw it for the first time ever tonight. Whoa. No. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yep. Aren't you the baseball person? Yeah, but I don't really like sports movies. I mean, I like sports, but sports movies to me, this is going to make you sound terrible. It feels like everyone either ends with like they win or they lose and they learn a lesson. And it just, there's, what are there's the other good ones. Of sports? <laughs> no, but I'd rather lose. watch sports than a sports Oops. movie. Oh, all right. well, that's fascinating because I would so much rather watch a sports movie than sports. Yeah, it's like all the best parts of the sport, right? Like it's the <laughs> yeah, exciting. Right. I was like, wow, baseball's right. exciting. <laughs> I would rather watch Bravo. <laughs> my interest in in sport is about, stretches is about about as far as movies uh, but that that does surprise me so this is great though to have somebody who's whose exposure is so recent uh since the rest of us sort of knew this movie i'm a in real baby <laughs> i'm gonna live vicariously through your eyes tonight <laughs> yes that's so well, exciting that's the whole not not the whole point, but uh, the I guess the the silent the teaser here is that Mike and I just started the Tom Tom Club, the Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks podcasts, and so we are sort of just like a backdoor not pilot like a backdoor mid season pickup or something. But mm-hmm. uh, we were talking a lot about how a lot of these early movies for both Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks I've never seen, and so Mike's mm-hmm. seen most of them for each actor, and this is a just one of the many many movies that we'll be covering you know this year and next that I have not seen that I really probably should have seen so this you know might get ready for a whole lot of this in the next you know, <laughs> year and a half tobin could you give us two um bits of film history for a league of their own sure and to lead into these i should say we i think because i don't think you've mentioned it yet that our the reason for moving this up on our schedule was the recent passing of penny marshall the director um and producer of this movie uh was she laverne or shirley i i i can't keep them I don't know which Le- one she was. 
I'm pretty sure it was Laverne. I remember she always had the big L embroidered on her shirts and everything. Okay, yeah, that, that's right. That makes sense. Right. So Laverne of Laverne and Shirley. Uh, you know, we've talked in this podcast before about uh, actors who go on then to to direct or, or produce, sort of define their career in a new way, especially as uh, the sort of number of roles for women as they get older. Uh, get the number of roles get smaller um and hopefully that's changing but uh but in general that kind of happens and you find you i think penny marshall is a great example of someone who um you know had success as an actor and then moved behind the camera to all to also have great success mm-hmm. um so uh first first bit of uh film history so the first cut of this movie was four hours long <laughs> and full of all kinds of backstory about all of the women players and uh you would learn about their sort of where, where they came from, their issues at home, their and sort of uh, a much more sort of broad view. I would watch um, that for hours. <laughs> I bet you would. Yeah, release um, the cut. Release the Marshall yeah. cut. Apparently, some of the images from the credit sequence, the ones that don't appear in the film, came out of mm. that. Um, out of those scenes, um, the movie itself is two hours and seven minutes long. So it's you know they cut up they you know cut half half of that stuff out. The other bit of film history is it's sort of well known this movie involved a lot of intense prep for baseball. Like part of the audition was they had to go to a baseball like show their baseball skills, and then they did then the the women who were chosen did baseball training camp. Um, and uh, uh, Rosie O'Donnell the, apparently auditioned for the Marla character and was cast as that until they found Megan Cavanaugh, uh, who plays the character in the movie. But they they thought Rosie was so good, her energy was so good, and she was such a good ball player that they wrote the Doris role for her and sort of. There, there was no sort of best friend of the of the Madonna, the May character in the movie until until they until Rosie showed up, and so I, I think that that shows. And for my money, is a great addition to this movie. That energy, I think, works really well. So those are my two bits of film history. Excellent, Island. Could you, you could you take us through the uh, ladies in charge, women involved in major roles, I in the League of Their Own? Would love to. Um, as uh, Tobin mentioned, of course, we have director Penny Marshall. And I'm so glad to be talking about her again outside of the Hocus Pocus context. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Um, uh, co-writers, we have Kim Wilson and Kelly Kandali. Lead actors include Gina Davis, Lori Petty, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, Megan Cavanaugh, Tracy Reiner, Biddy Schramm, Anne Cusack, Anne Ramsey, Freddie Simpson, and Renee Coleman. Producers, Penny Marshall and Amy Lemish. Yay. I yeah, love it. Guest. Such a star studded <laughs> this film. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I feel like in my, this is such a, a, a movie in my mind that I can't imagine anyone doesn't know it, but just in case don't no no shame. Um, let's fill the people in on what this uh, movie is about. Tope. Yeah. In case there are other Joey's out there who have not uh, watched this movie before. <laughs> in the midst of world war two, major league baseball decides to fill its dormant stadiums by starting a women's baseball league An irascible scout travels to Oregon where he finds ball playing sisters, Dottie Hinson, and Kit Keller, played by Gina Davis and Lori Petty. Together, the sisters travel to tryouts, make the team, and go on the road with the Rockford Peaches, 
managed by a drunk and ornery former baseball star played by Tom Hanks. The sisters struggle against expectations of their behavior, a skeptical fan base, their uninvested manager, the other women on the team, the stresses of having loved ones away at war, and eventually each other. The film culminates in the first Women's League World Series, where the sisters, now on opposing teams, come up against one another in the final innings before the film flashes forward to the women's induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, As much as I know this movie well, I do tend to forget that it's bookended with a modern day at the time uh, scenes. Um, And I don't always like that, but... In this case, I feel like I forget it until it starts. I'm like, oh, yeah, it starts this way. And then every time I forget that that's where we'll end. Uh-huh, like it, uh-huh. it, it's, <laughs> and I, I, to, I think, you know, for, for me, it's just a testament to um, how uh, deep into the story I get and how much I'm enjoying it that I, I have forgotten where, where we came from in it. But, but I've seen it many times. Joey, what did you think of the uh, – the flashbacks and the structure of it. I like this movie. Uh, I was watching it in a weird way because I was trying to sort of separate the Hanks from it all. Uh, So I was kind of glad that he didn't show up for half an hour because I want to sort of separate his performance so that we have something to talk about on Hanks for the Memories. Um, I like this movie. I feel like of the four of us, I'm probably going to have liked it the least. I enjoyed the performances. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't feel much about this movie one way or another. And I feel like that's probably blasphemous maybe to you two and maybe to Mike and maybe to the listeners too. But, you know, I I just thought this was like a nice movie. Hmm. I don't know about blasphemous, but perhaps a a darn shame. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. I had, the thing that gets, no, no, go for it. I was just going to get us started off is, you know, after the, um, flashbacky bit then um we meet them in oregon very near yeah, you, where i live i was gonna say in your, in your part in of like the country my yeah. part of oregon in fact um and so that uh, it didn't matter to me previously but on this watching i was like oh yeah <laughs> there they are look at them i have to say one other thing if i could about the um mo- quote-unquote modern day scenes Please. is that the thing that bugs me about those is that they're dubbed yes. with with the you know gina davis is her voice on this actor who's playing her old older. And it, that bugs me. So that bugged me so much. And I remember thinking even, and maybe not when I first saw it, but I remember there were times that as it came up, I thought, Oh, that's right. This is dubbed, isn't it? And then I looked up, that's right. I remember this always, always kind of being off putting um, that. That's a thing I don't, <laughs> I think, I think doesn't, doesn't age well. It may, and maybe didn't even work as well at the time. Oh, I, I tell you what, well, Tobin, I didn't, I, it worked on me because this is the first time I caught it. I mean, it, oh, I, really? always, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I could tell in the Superman movie that Christopher Reeves was dubbing young Clark Kent, but I never yeah. caught it in this movie. Ooh. You know, like that's funny. And I, I kind of jumped up and cocked my head sideways and was just like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. What? Is, wait, I don't remember this. Was this always this way? Interesting. And it was. So. <laughs> Yeah, I always love it when we get back into the the quote unquote real story of the past. The when we're back with um, Gina Davis's voice coming out of Gina Davis, the actor's mouth, uh, and uh, and yeah, I always always love to see Oregon. And then we get John Lovitz showing up, mm-hmm. which um, in in a in a you know the part that that was written for him apparently. 
uh, and shows, right? Every, almost every line is a, <laughs> is like a John Lovitz quip. I don't know how that plays today. <laughs> Maybe that. Is yeah. Great. I was going to say, I, you know, that it was less charming to me, yeah. um, <laughs> but it's difficult because I've known those lines forever. And, and, and I, I wrote down um, when, you know, he has a lot, a lot of funny little in, inappropriate moments. Um, and we can get to some of the stuff about Marla and, and her looks keeping her potentially out of the league. But what I wrote down was when they get to the um, the tryout field for the first time. And there's this um, moment of them going through and, and kind of suddenly being in this bigger thing. Um, he describes, he says, well, it's been a, a thin slice of heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to start using that in my life. But then right after that, he goes on to explain what he's planning to do next, which is go home and give his wife a little pickle tickle, <laughs> yes. which I found revolting <laughs> and then made me think, if I liked pickles, would I feel differently about that line? <laughs> and I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of a phallic food I do like. <laughs> and I'll continue to think about that. But um, so as the fresh eyes on this piece, um, Joey, how did you find John Lovitz? All I could keep thinking while watching this is that like Mike does a good John Lovitz impression. So I just kept imagining <laughs> Mike as John Lovitz in this movie. It's um, true. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he was, you know, I think I think a lot of this movie is sort of intentionally stereotypical of the time. And he's like this, you know, this man's man or whatever. And this guy who. Uh, it has the one job to do, and he's probably got rules from higher ups, like just get the the attractive women. Um, his character is fine. I'm glad that he didn't stick around. I don't want to jump ahead, but I was yeah. much less, you know, happy to see him than when Bill Pullman shows up as Gina Davis's husband. I was like, oh shit, like there he is. Uh, mm-hmm. I like seeing him. Um, but yeah, John Lovitz was okay. Like I, I don't think, I don't know. It's also hard, I think, to put into context sexism in 1992 portraying 1943 and then 2019 reflecting on 1992 portraying 1943 you know it's like this weird three timelines kind of and it's hard to but at the end of the day it's it's not great mm-hmm. yeah it's more more cringy now for me than it certainly I'm sure it was at the time um but there's something about his energy in the movie you know if you're making this today you would you would i think change some some of the lines but that his energy i think is is really um is really useful uh and then we get david strathairn here early on too another uh Love repeat it. in Such our uh, in the contenders yeah yeah as I, and, as oh go ahead i was just gonna before we get too far past it um mm. it's, with joey's comment about hopping back and forth in time and and how that um influences our our reactions but also potentially the kind of intention of the of um, the gender politics of it um, because kind of so close to the um, tryouts and all that, we we're um, see this radio play deal, like this PSA about what I would, you know, consider like a conservative PSA about the women's league mm-hmm. and how it's the masculinization of women and what are we going to do? And this is a terrible idea. And, um, and there are more, I, there are more kind of questions like that as it goes on and the war changes and, and all that. But I just thought, wow, that does not sound any different than things I have heard people say in, on similar platforms recently, mm, mm. So even though it's 1992 playing 
19, early 1940s, 43, 43, in 2019, I can see uh, a a potentially Fox and Friends um, segment that had almost verbatim, you know, uh, certainly it's same opinions, but almost the same, same dialogue that way. So, um, oh, how the, you know, the world spins and we end up in the same place sometimes. I got excited by that PSA because it was narrated by Harry Shearer and I recognized the voice and I confirmed that I was right. And I was like, ah, yes, I, I know some <laughs> things about things. <laughs> it's also it, interesting because right. it's, it's, it's a similar dynamic a little bit to what gets set up in um, uh, She's the Man in terms mm-hmm. of uh, boy soccer versus girl soccer in that case, quote unquote, yeah, quote unquote. Absolutely. Uh, just to tie it back to one of our other movies of sport uh, on this <laughs> show. My gosh, it's becoming a sports movie show. <laughs> um yeah i i i loved the tryouts i loved meeting all the um women and there's a couple of things really early on that i i'm gonna give it some credit for having been made by a woman to emphasize these moments um very very early on you get a really strong sense of the sisterly dynamic between the two of them that mm-hmm. really is the you know heart of the story while it it sheds light on this um, interesting and important historical moment. I think that the two sisters is just really, and, and um, you know, at the center of it. And you, and you, I felt that from the very beginning. I, I'm very sensitive to like little sister problems, and I, I, I felt them from the very, very beginning. And then, um, set my second kind of moment of ah, you know, women are amazing, uh, which really should be the name of this this podcast and my memoir. Um, <laughs> Was when they um, wouldn't get on, wouldn't, wouldn't get up back on the train without Marla, which right, and you, and you with those kind of things and taking a stand and all that, you know, my ni- twenty nineteen brain is like, well, we have to, you know, be careful and make sure we're in solidarity and not talking for someone and and all that. But I, I, I feel like that was the um, the move of 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 people with integrity to say. You know, nope. This person um, should have the same chance that that we have, and and we're gonna all go together, and none of us are gonna go. Um, and then finally, and then I'll stop talking. I just love this movie so much. Um, in the tryout scene, when they put up the handwritten rosters, and um, Anne Cusack is standing up there, and just stands up there and stands up there, and and the guy is kind of saying, "Well, if you're if you didn't make it, I'm sorry, but you have to leave." And, and it's not that she didn't make it. She did make it, but she can't read. So she doesn't mm-hmm. know that she made it. And, and that was, again, with my 2019 brain, such an illustration of institutional barriers and, mm-hmm. and how it's um, kind of uh, they're literally on a playing field that everyone assumes is level. But as we know, that does not exist. And so... This one, you know, this one kind of deficit in her experience is could influence the rest of her history and the history of the league if you want to make it a big, big deal. Um, and so all it takes is someone else standing up and saying, how, you know, can I help you with this? How can I um, assist you? And, and so that we're all on that same page. And so I was getting misty from the beginning. 
Um, yeah, I, one thing I loved about the bit where they where they decide they're not going to get on the on the train without Marla is that they don't say anything. He just says, "Come on, let's go," and they just both simultaneously, without a word, set their bags down. Like just in terms of a, in terms of writing, that's a great sort of it's a great visual gag. It's a great action, but also then for their characters, as you said, say that you know, to, just to, to build on what you're saying, that they don't have to they don't even have to discuss it. There's no, mm-hmm. and I think that gets to also this idea that uh, in terms of a, a movie directed by a woman that that. Where if, I don't know that there was discussion in the script, but like I could see a director saying, no, we don't need that. We're all going to get it. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes me feel in a very fundamental way that the movie has a, has a, um, a woman behind it in a, in a, in a strong creative role is that it would be so easy for this movie at this time or any time really to be the David Strathairn character story. Mm-hmm. The guy who is put in charge of women's baseball and doesn't kind of want to be, and then gets sort of turned around by it. And in the end sort of champions it so it can last for another eight or nine years. And the fact that, that, you know, he has this arc uh, and these really forceful scenes, you could see somebody saying that's the movie, but in mm-hmm. this case, it's, that's not the movie. He's just, he's like, you know, one of the subplots in this movie. And I think that sort of on a, on a very fundamental level, the movie's just so interested in these women's lives and what they, what baseball does for them and what they do do for baseball. Yeah. Maybe that footage is uh, on the cutting room floor or somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's part of that other two hours we're missing (laughs) again. I'll watch it. Eisen, you glossed over a little bit that the the person who says to the woman who can't read that she should you you know go or stay is Major Briggs. Right. Oh, yes, you're right. I'm sorry. It was on the next page. I hadn't turned my page yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just want to make sure we get that in there. That Absolutely. Major Briggs has a the role as sort of what they seem. <laughs> yes, as one of the other co- ends up being a manager of one of the other teams. Yeah. Oh, and I'm also contractually obligated to point out that he is Dana Scully's dad on the X Files. Oh, is he really? Don S. Davis, yes. I mean, he dies Amazing. in the first season. He dies like of a first Spoilers. or second episode of the It's very, very early. Very early. But yeah, no, I, I love him as an actor and I love him in uh, things. And yeah. Speaking of actors, how do you all feel about Madonna and Rosie and their and their uh, collaboration here in this movie? As a. Um, guess how, oh, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I assumed Tobin was speaking directly to me. Um, As a big (laughs) fan of the Rosie O'Donnell show in the 90s, um, this reminded me of, I mean, this is where they met and how they became friends. And at the time, it, it, um, I think based a lot on reputation and perception, it seemed like what this, this unlikely pair, um, Mm -hmm. but their um bond one because they spent so much time together in their baseball camp and all that but they have um kind of biographically and and uh, so much in common and um and similar hardships and experiences in childhood and and things that they they i mean they became best friends i do not know the status of them currently but in the rosie o'donnell show era they were mo and roe and they were besties. And so buds, yeah. I loved seeing that. And and I think with some distance from the perception of stunt casting of, of Madonna, I, I kind of loved their their back and forth. And even though there is some very clear rosy ADR um, throughout it, I um I, I love how she's constantly highlighting first first her friend may but then others on the team i mean yeah. just team player that character that they created for rosie is um i just i i loved her 
I'll stop. Y'all can talk. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was incredible when you mentioned that uh, they created this character for Rosie because the her and Madonna feel like, you know, inseparable to me. Mm-hmm. Like, they just click so well. They're like a vaudeville act in the middle of this movie. <laughs> and, I mean, I feel like everybody's so great and, like, I don't know, like, characters really pop, like, like the Lovitz guy, like he's a caricature, you know, like he's not a, you know, people are like that. I'm sure like there's aspects, but like he's full tilt, like slimy sort of, um, you know, baseball scout. Uh, but like, you know, like the Gina Davis character, like I don't get anything, you know, false from her or anything like, you know, characters are played straight and others are played sort of more on the edge. Um, and I think they sort of follow a little more along that line. I mean, you know, like they're just more comic relief and stuff and they work great together. And I was just, yeah, I was just reminded of uh, how much I enjoyed watching the two of them perform with each other. So let's play a game with how long it took me to realize it was Madonna. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. Is it because how you knew her blonde, Joey? Uh, most of the movie where I was like, oh. oh, right, Madonna's a big character in this movie. I wonder who she is. And I was like, oh, no, that's Madonna. Like the swing dancing that might have tipped oh, no, you no. over. What You're giving it? me too much credit, Mike. It is well after the swing dancing. Oh, no. Wow. No I just don't know. Like, I am young, number one, young-ish. Number two, I just don't know what Madonna Humble looks drag. like. Number three, also hair blindness. Um, obviously, I know Rosie, but Madonna, I was just like, I was like, all right, Madonna. Who is Madonna in this movie? And like, oh, she's basically the star of the movie in a way. So, um, yeah, that it took me a long time. But I, I like wouldn't it. go that That's... far. I'd say featured player. No, featured player, of course. Star actually, movie. I have a question. You're actually me right now. No, 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 no. It's, it's unrelated to that. I was just you know, it was a it was a transition. Does anybody else think it's a weird ish? I saw this on Letterbox, but it, it sort of piqued my interest that. It feels almost like the Lori Petty character should be the main character. Hmm. It's kind of her story in a way, you know, uh, or no. I like I like that. it. I was getting it more like it was the sister's mm-hmm. story, like it was we were going to be following both of them a lot. And for the most part, I think we are that that is the main thread for me, at least. That's where we start. That's where we end. Um, and that's where like a lot of the conflict is. And um, I think it. it kind of changes a little towards the end where it becomes a little more everybody's story. It becomes more of like the Peaches team in general to me, where she gets, when Lori Petty gets traded, uh, that's when I'm like, oh, okay, now it's leaning more toward being Gina Davis's story. We're spending time with her husband's uh, backstory, you know, going to war and talking to Hanks on the bus and stuff. But yeah, for me, I was, uh, I was like, oh, it's about the sisters. And then by the end, I was like, maybe it's more, the Gina Davis character story, because it is her flashback as well. Yeah, the whole movie is pegged off Gina Davis's flashback. It's her we meet at the beginning, and we don't know what's going on with her sister, although it's sort of alluded to. And then sort of we, we leave from her and then come back to her at the end. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean, though. It is, it's more of a two-hander between them, right? And and that, that sort of, yeah, it, it, again, the movie could, there's enough going on in the movie, and the characters all have enough 
to do and enough conflict and you could you could follow any one of mm-hmm. them. I, I wonder if they were, you know, made this today, if it would be a TV show. And, and actually, apparently it was. It did a season on in 1993, huh. maybe not quite a season, but they did a TV show version of the same name. And I, I wonder if that would if that would sort of allow them to sort of go go deeper that way. The, but, the same name yeah. and some of the ensemble players. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Like Marlo was in it and um, Betty Spaghetti and, and stuff. Um, huh. I, I wow. felt like, and maybe yeah. I'm taking it too far. Um, but I appreciated having so much of both of the sisters there. And then to a larger extent, I think it's true of the whole team, but um, yes, it's, it's Gina Davis's um, point of view, but I feel like we get a real sense of what, um, what this was for each of them. So, you know, for Gina Davis, it was, I think, more about um, supporting her sister and supporting um, the war effort in a way um, because she had that, that tie of it to her husband being there and just being in the world at that time, but, but that kind of specific personal tie. Um, and, and, and for Kit, it was much more about this opportunity and to get out and to play. Um, and so I, I liked having those different highlighting both of those and that it's okay for the same thing to mean something wildly different to the two of them, but also then kind of to each of them in, um, in their little worlds. It was originally supposed to be, um, Deborah Winger as the Dottie character and Moira Kelly as the Kit character. Oh no. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Moira Kelly, um, she hurt her ankle on the cutting edge, so had to drop out, and then that pushed them back, and so then they, they sort of re- recast. But, oh, the cutting uh, edge. Man, Topic. Yeah. We, uh, we, co- we covered that on uh, Wistful Thinking. I was on that episode for the Olympics month. Nice. Oh, there you go. I kind of wish, going to you know what Isla was saying, or what you were saying, Tobin, about it being a TV show, Like I, I kind of wish... Like I wish that the movie was closer to four hours than two. Not that I would have, you know, wanted to watch a three or four hour movie, but it feels like the writers love all of these characters so much and want to include so much of so many of them. And I feel like it doesn't. It's not like it feels unfocused, but it feels like there's just so much going on that it feels like I kind of want more sort of fill in the blank of the world and of the characters and all of all that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm. Totally. Yeah, I feel like the movie did a really good job, actually, of like starting with two characters and spreading out, like to to love it, and then we get to the training camp, and like we're meeting like four and five more people, and then they're a team, and we're starting to meet the team more. Like I thought it did a, a really good job of sort of like building the world and the team, and and you know by the end, we don't know these people like very personally, but I feel like we get a good sense of individually who these people are like i could you know pick them out from a lineup by the end of the movie kind of situation um and i feel like it's very difficult to juggle that many characters in a movie Mm -hmm. even you know watch other sports movies and you maybe have like three or four teammates that actually talk right and then you have the background teammates that are just like you know in the dugout or um batter's box or whatever so like i i thought i gave i mean i thought she did a terrific job of trying to include as many characters as possible and not having it get away from itself at any point i never felt the movie felt out of control or Mm -hmm. dropped the ball so to speak at at any point (laughs) 
But speaking of dropping balls, there was some Tobin mate, it sounds like you have read more trivia recently than I have, but um I remember a story about um Kodak throwing them a party. And um and I, I remember pictures of you know champagne on the ball field and all that because they used so much film huh. in making this movie. Um, that they, it was something like you know a million feet, or I, I don't know the the number, but it was a it was a a measurable a amount. Big number. <laughs> um, and then because Penny Marshall was on the Rosie O'Donnell show to talk about it, and um, and the they she asked Penny what was that about, and and Penny Marshall's response was, well, you know, the girls didn't always catch the balls or hit the <laughs> balls or whatever. And and at the time, I didn't really think much about that, but in watching it last night. Like, oh my goodness, that's a whole extra thing for the actors, but also for the director to be dealing with is not only mm-hmm. do you have to get this performance out of them, but sometimes also while they're performing a, a technical skill and in, in, in there are doubles and there are coaches and there are all those kinds of things. But, but just that added element of, of so many balls in the air, literally that, um, it, I think it makes it all the more impressive too um, that they've created such a, a cohesive world. Yeah, it's really true. Speaking of trivia, there's a, a moment in the movie where Gina Davis is catching a, a, a pop fly. I think and she catches it behind her back. Mm-hmm. And apparently the stunt, there was supposed to be a stunt uh, performer to do that, that job. And they were having a lot of trouble. And so Jeannie Davis said, well, let me try. And she got it on like the second take or something. <laughs> so they put the camera on her face then since she could do it. Nice. And uh, uh, it does. But I think it really does show, you know, you it's sort of like when you see a movie where um, actors are, are performing dances and they can, you can tell when they can really dance mm-hmm. and when they can't. And sometimes that matters and sometimes it doesn't. Well, in a movie like this, where we have to believe that they have scoured the country for the best women baseball players that we can find. And, it, and you know, that, that they, it, I think it shows that they can play. Mm-hmm. Also the fact that it really does feel like a, like they do become a team. You know, they all have, Mike, as you're saying, such individuality and, and there's so such specificity as characters, but they also real, really coalesce as the team comes together, as the movie goes along. And I, I, I think they, they do a nice job of, leading us through that right where it feels kind of organic as that's happening do should we talk about hanks now yes sure near the beginning of hey there's hanks i have a note all in caps wash your hands (laughs) such a movie and tv pet peeve of mine i mean a pet peeve in real life but um that's got to be a choice here though right probably yes still still not excusable um Yeah, that's like his second intro in the movie. I thought that was kind of funny. I never picked up on that, but we meet the Hanks character, but then the the girls meet Hanks in right. a completely different way. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I completely forgot how long this went on <laughs> and how crazy it was. They tease him as a drinker in the scene with Harvey. And then, you know, he then shows up, you know, pissed drunk, no pun intended, in, you know, as he comes to, to work for the first time. Uh, and it is it is quite a it is quite a character introduction and a moment that I have never forgotten mm-hmm. and it goes on a lot longer the his peeing t- that takes so much longer than I remember it <laughs> uh, and it reminds me of, of a thing or, or, or it brings to mind I think one of this movie's great strengths and Penny Marshall's great strength as, as a director um, one of the Coen brothers has talked about directing as tone management everything from your decision of what color 
you know, a costume should be to how long a pause should be in a, you know, an actor is giving to, is this a two shot or a single or a wide shot? Everything is about managing the tone once the, once the script is set. And I think she does that so well here. I mean, this, the, the ability for it to be sort of, to go from broad comedy to some very, very serious moments where one of the women gets the telegram mm-hmm. from the war department uh, to, telling her that her husband had died. Like there's, it, it, it sort of moves. It's, it's got a wide swing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and I think it, but I think it handles it. I think it handles it really well. Maybe the music is a little schmaltzy walking us through that sometimes. I mean, it's a big Hollywood movie, so you know, it's going to be made that way, but to do that and, and yet, to do all of that and still have kind of what feels like a central integrity, a movie, a word I think Eisen, you've used already. Um, I, I, I think that's so, so much of that is due to, to Penny Marshall's direction, her ability to sort of have the scene where he pees forever <laughs> and then have the scene where the, where the woman gets the telegram in the same movie is that's impressive. Yeah. I agree. Uh, you used the word broad Tobin. And, and I will say <laughs> that, Upon this watching of the film, I, I did find Hanks's performance significantly more broad than I remembered it. <laughs> and I don't know if that's, uh, you know, because I first watched it as a kid. And so for all I knew that, you know, all the choices he made were authentic to being a drunk. And, and I'm not saying they're not, but um, but, you know, the uh, whenever he's kind of uh, drunk and yelling or hungover yelling or anything. I, I this time I was like, wow, yeah, those are some those are some choices, Hanks. Yeah, that that kind of I, I got the same sense. It's like he was kind of what I was thinking this time around, sort of like love it, where it's like, and kind of the the guys in the movie where like they feel a little more like caricatures or like I don't know embellishments and like more buffoon sort of like versions i guess i don't know exactly but like he, he just you know he's got the limp he's got the uh, the, the alcoholism like he's he should he's like the villain of the movie mm-hmm. technically right like he would be i guess like for all intent and purpose but you know the, he they get to the heart of him and he you know he ends up you know turning around and uh, sobering up and you know actually managing and you know staying on and caring about these people um but yeah i just i I just thought it was cool how or not cool well i just thought it was interesting how there's um like the tone like there's contrast in characters as well where there's like Mm. very down-to-earth characters and there's sort of like very silly characters and then there's um room for all of them to you know coexist which is uh, just again, like, you know, not just the writing, but I think more towards the directing, like, mm-hmm. I think you can write that and it reads, you know, like, okay, you can read that and be like, I get it. But like to portray that is much more difficult, especially how, like you were saying how technical other aspects of this movie are like the baseball and all the sports stuff and getting all that stuff, like to have that on your mind as well as all these emotional levels and beats mm-hmm. and all these other things you know, things you have to hit. It's just like, wow, uh, it's overwhelming to me mm-hmm. just to think about. And she did it. Mm-hmm. So, I think not, awesome. not only um, having all those characters and giving them the individuality, but I think so many of them had the space to grow. I mean, not just Tom Hanks is not, mm-hmm. I think not the only one who, you know, um, makes a change as a result of this experience. And so I, mm-hmm. you know, no, I clearly, I just really like this movie. <laughs> it's an interesting time for, for Hanks. And I'm, I don't want to steal your thunder when you get to the, the, your, your, when you get to this in the Hanks show. Um, but 
it's right after these two big flops, Joe versus the volcano and bonfire, the vanities the year before where he was the, where he was the lead ostensibly in those movies. And that just, and they both cratered. And then he does this, he takes this supporting part where he's, heavier and he's drunk and he's mean he is mean through this movie it's one thing i really appreciate about his performance in here is that he never really gets nice <laughs> like he, he he cares he becomes to really care but he cares with the same fierceness that he that he that he sort of hated the whole thing to begin with and he's always yelling at them and he, the, the, that great there's no crying in baseball the famous famous sequence like he's being pretty ruthless <laughs> in that moment but Part of that's about you know his his standards for them right and the, and how he had been trained as a as a you know as a, a ball player in his own right so he's treating them just the same way he was treated and I, I don't know I I really appreciated that and then the next year he goes on to do Sleepless in Seattle and Philadelphia for which he wins an Oscar so it's this hinge point for him in his career uh, between these sort of this year of flops and this year of super success and I I, I think this is such a smart role for him to take and I think he just does uh, beautifully with it. Well, and this is also kicking off. I mean, not just Philadelphia and what was the movie? Oh, Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless, yeah. But yeah, but the like when when Mike and I were planning out the the Hanks run, like it's like these next five or six years, like basically the rest of the nineties. Yeah. Him doing yeah. like mm-hmm. Forrest Gump and Toy Story and uh, Castaway, like it's like it's 2000, 2000, 2001. Like there's like this stretch of like seven or eight years here where like it's just it's all the biggest movies of the nineties that he's in like from you know, from beginning to end, like, it's just, this is, I, I think that, that the definition or description or whatever you want to call it, of it being a hinge year is very true because this takes him from, you know, a movie that I love in Joe versus the volcano to him suddenly becoming like truly America's dad. And like, you know, these uh, great, great roles where he's going to win Oscars and you know, be nominated for Oscars and lead like the, the, one of the biggest animated franchises of all time. Yeah. He becomes, Superstar, basically. I mean, I remember at the time too. They were saying it's kind of a comeback mm-hmm. role or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that totally. was a term I remember being heard thrown around. And you know, as a kid at the time or a teenager, I was like, you know, coming back from what? <laughs> but I didn't understand, you know, the public perception and you know the, the the idea of like his movies had flopped and stuff. But yeah, no, just a terrific performance. I just unlike you know stuff that i had seen him in before like i really feel like he broke the hanks mold like up until this point he was sort of playing certain versions or levels of the same kind of stuff which is great which is great stuff don't get me wrong but this to me was the first time where he's like really getting into character i'd say there's a lot of nice goofballs before this and there's for sure some after this but this is like it is sort of him driving a stake through the heart of that, and I I wonder eyes on if that's maybe why he chews into it so mm-hmm. much. Who knows? Maybe that's Penny Marshall's you know pushing him that direction, uh, or Mike, as you're saying, like he's got to kind of be the villain for for part of this movie since they're not actually you know there, there's the, the rivalry between the teams isn't that important till the end, and they don't know that the owners are planning not to con- continue the league. You know, they only have him to sort of battle against and, and, and win over um, for whatever reason though. I, I think it's, I, I see what you mean as about it being big, <laughs> uh, no pun intended, uh, uh, being a big performance, but I think it works really well in the movie. Can we talk about my least favorite part of the movie? Yes, please. Yes. They poison a woman. Oh yes. There's a lot of, and it's, oh. it's brief, but the, um, 
s- s- set dressing the scene, you know, the the scene they create around the violently ill woman with, um, you know, Tom <laughs> Hanks fanning the air and the doctor saying, I've never seen a woman throw up so much. <laughs> and 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 a lot. Of, and, and and that's, I think, a, a real um, bit of a turning point for the Hanks character. Um, I think mm-hmm. there's something about he's been sick like that for different reasons. But, you know, I mean, I, I, he, he, when we see him, he's taking care of her, a character right. that he yeah, has, you know, up, up until then, really all we've seen him do is sexually harass her. So, um, it's, it kind of gives him, uh, that lovable Hanks, um, quality, but they poison a woman and, um, so, and there's a lot of vomit so that, so that they can go dancing. Like they don't like, it's not like they poison her for like, to, to save the world, they poison her so they can go out yeah. dancing. Yeah. I forgot that they actually said we're going to mm-hmm. poison her, like use the word. I remember the, her getting like food poisoning, but I don't remember them ever saying like, yeah, let's like plotting mm-hmm. to do it. That was oh, that was definitely yeah. premeditated poisoning. Madonna. This is like criminal, <laughs> yeah. criminal enterprise. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's that was my my least favorite part, but it does get us to the um the saloon and um the the players cutting loose and um Marla meets the love of her life. Um and so it's uh you know, they needed to get there clearly. But at what cost? Yeah, they were also sort of part of its rebelling against um the because this is what this woman represents is you know they all have to act quote unquote act like a lady and they have to go they go through all this like learn how to you know sip tea and to walk gracefully across the room and she's like their their etiquette coach and their sort of behave like their chaperone you know uh, and so there's there's something I I agree with you that we sh- we I in no way condone condone poisoning mm-hmm. anybody uh, but I think that I think that having her and I I wonder Iceland if for you in particular if they if she just if she had just um, uh, passed out rather than doing all the vomiting, if maybe that would have oh, been 100%, easier. That would have changed it for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's, that's why I, said I don't, yes, I don't know why I, I <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I don't know why I remembered it that she, I guess I thought that she had just fallen asleep and they snuck out. Like that's how I guess my brain was working way back in the day when I first saw it. But yeah. Oh, actually I have a question for Iceland. Sure. In terms of the costuming, in terms of the actual yes. in-world, in-film things, what did you think of baseball dresses? Well, um, having – I'll answer your question, but then that leads me to something else. Um, having seen photos of it, I think they look pretty authentic to what what they wore, you know, for realsies um, in this league, in this era. Um, I liked – or I really appreciated – that um their reactions to them you know early on mm-hmm. that the players themselves thought because it, it, it's a real kind of um you know gut punch because they've been you know scouted from around the u.s and they're there and they're all playing their hardest and wanting to make this thing that you know they didn't know really kind of what it was yet i mean it's new and they want to be a part of it and then okay we made it your ball players, you are in the first, you know, women's first girls, as they say, um, league, professional league, and and then they bring out these skirts and and, and with a model, um, and there I thought um, their reaction was um, was awesome because it was 
you know, oh, just when we thought we were being taken seriously, now I'm supposed to play baseball in a dress? Like, what? Um, so I, I, I felt like they reacted for the audience to that. Um, and then it turns out they mm-hmm. can play baseball in dresses. So, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of later on, it's like, well, you know, the dress is not going to, dress is not going to be what's going to hold them back. Um, the, there's a couple of huge montages in this movie. And in one of them, you see some of their injuries from sliding in a skirt and all that, but they, they yeah. go for it. Um, and then just the, the dresses uh, remind me of the actual photos. And that's something I loved in the, um, in the final scenes. And then, um, you know, a little bit, I guess not credits is more live stuff, but when they're, you're going through the um, exhibit, um, in the Hall of Fame, and mm-hmm. they have all these photos, which, you know, we know that they're photos from the set because they're the actors in them, not the real people. Although some of them were like the ones in the background were the actual photos. But I just want to give a shout out to whoever is responsible for those. I mean, those photos looked like the old timey photos. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like they captured yeah, 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 the. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, they captured what it feels like to look at, you know, you know, your grandparents' pictures of a different time and place. And maybe that's easy mm-hmm. to do, totally. but um, I just felt like it, it was so effective because to put, um, to have me looking at the, at the photo and, and feeling like it's authentic when I know that that's Gina Davis in that picture, I don't know. I, I felt like they just did a fantastic mm-hmm. job um, with that um historical photography piece it's a tiny thing but it's just another thing i love about this movie totally yeah i really like the ads on the field and stuff like there's a really great sense of it being a period (laughs) piece at times like with the the cars and yeah when they go to that place and they do the swing dancing i was like well i'm really getting into this just they really you know they decorated this thing real well real perfectly totally speaking of other small things the, as you had mentioned earlier, I think in the Rosie section, the ADR, mm-hmm. the little additional dialogue recording that we have, there are times where the, the camera will be on some of the actors and then they'll move to a different sort of bit of, let's say, the locker room, move to a different um, uh, pair of actors. And you'll, he- you'll hear the conversation that we just left continue a little bit. And and so you just it, on the, you know, if you if you're paying close attention <laughs> you can hear the you know the little bits of extraneous dialogue that don't have to do with the plot that are only sort of about the characters and what's going on and in a lot of movies it's all kind of pointless it's it's just sort of filler in this movie it's used almost every time for either a good joke or a character moment or it just furthers something that uh, that sort of we're learning about the characters i think they they really took their time and and uh you know, figured out what these characters would be saying when the, when it wasn't on them. Now, maybe that's because it's not actually ADR. Maybe it's part of the four hour <laughs> cut <laughs> that we're just, you know, you just move to a different part and you keep the sound playing a little bit uh, faintly of what we just left. But um, the little details like that and like these photographs you're talking about, you know, it's a, it's a lovingly crafted movie. It may not be to your taste. It may be too broad at times. It may be too, you know, there, there, I can totally see where it's, it's, especially if you didn't see it when you were young, I can see that you're like, you know, one could, could have a reaction that's, you know, not sort of just enraptured by it. But I do think that you can't dismiss that for, for a movie of this type, a movie made for a big four quadrant Hollywood audience that 
that they really have invested in who these characters are and and all these little the, the these small um, uh, details that you know fill out the portrait of the of the story. Hmm. I do have a complaint about a characterization. Um, <laughs> but it leads to two uh, two things that, despite myself, I find charming. Um, so again, uh, as as Joey mentioned, it's uh, you know 1943 in 1992 in 2019. Um, and so the Madonna <laughs> character, May, her thing is her um, generosity with her sexuality. Right. Um, and that yep. is a little, yep. and then you add that on top of that, that it's Madonna. So it's this, you know, that's, there's an expectation that that's going to be her shtick. Um, and so it, it got a little one note for me, um, because I feel like we can, you know, we should all be able to be so many things regardless of our sexual generosity. But I get that that was her, um, her persona and perhaps some of it was self-cultivated and, you know, we could, we could talk for a long time about, about all that stuff. But um, the part that I think is my version of the remembering the peeing um, is I will always remember the um, scene in the back of the bus. So many great things happen in the bus, by the way, um, where she's (laughs) teaching Shirley Baker how to read using a dirty book. And it takes yes, the women yes. around them. And to, also to me, it's such a bus thing, having ridden a lot of um, buses to band trips and stuff in, in high school where you kind of hear bits of conversation, but you're not really listening and you're doing your own thing. But then once you kind of click into the frequency of something, so it takes the other <laughs> women around them um, kind of a little while, it feels like, to realize what's happening. Also, because she's reading very slowly. Um, but the um, the milky white breasts is something that I think of uh-huh. so often whenever someone says a word very slowly. <laughs> that is immediately what comes to mind is that they're actually reading milky wow. white breasts. Um, so and so I love that. And, it, and then I love Madonna's indignation of like, she's reading. OK, like <laughs> turn around. Yeah. We're, like it's so serious. Like we're in we're in session right now. I am teaching her to read. It doesn't matter what she's reading. Um, and so I, I loved that, even though it played into that one note thing. And then the other part, just because of um, my experience with you, most of you 24 hours ago, Madonna says bosoms twice. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. that, the night of bosom buddies recording. Um, I hear the word bosoms, yeah. and you don't. I don't hear that word so often most of the time. Um, but the last twenty four <laughs> hours, I've just been inundated by bosoms. Mike, we might have to count that for uh, all Hank's things. Yes. If, if, if we're going to hear bosoms and any other things, apparently it's at least two I think things. You did, so yeah, put it Absolutely. on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the bus, there are some great, or at least there's one great scene, I think, between Gina Davis and Tom Hanks on the Mm -hmm. bus. There's sort of a a flirtation going on. Uh, Part of it's part of it hints at sort of potential romance that they could have had, you know, in under different circumstances. They sort of. And in the four-hour cut, yes, yes, yes. And I, I, I think that it's um, uh, apparent. Well, in the script, apparently, the earlier drafts of the script. I don't know. Maybe she, she is that she didn't have a husband, and so 
there it, there was a love story sort of tied into it. And then I, my understanding is that Penny Marshall came in and said, no, 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 this could be much more interesting and not mm-hmm. about that the thing we would usually see where she falls in love with the manager. So that that, that then changed. But, it, but the, the residue of that in the story is this, I think, kind of heartbreaking, these sort of heartbreaking scenes of these two people who are sort of discovering each other and ends up not being a romantic thing. And yet that sort of that, that, there's a wistfulness to it. What did, you, what did you all think of the scenes or that whole sort of subplot between Hanks and, and Gina Davis? I like that it doesn't go to the place that you might expect it to go. Like, I like that there's the little moments like when he wants to drink with her and she takes the flask away and gives him like a, a Pepsi or a Coke or whatever. Like, mm. that he, she's kind of a rival and a confidant and like a mother in ways. And like, it feels like it's edging toward that like are they going to like kiss are they gonna you know start a relationship even though she's got a man overseas and i'm glad that it doesn't because i feel like it it you sort of in a way expect it to get to that point where they start a relationship and the fact that it doesn't is nice that it doesn't you know fall back on a what it seems like an easy way to add conflict or add a love story or whatever yeah it's much more interesting i think in um and that they can have a a deep and meaningful friendship and that it's not, you know, I, I've said probably not on the podcast, but just in life a lot. I hate the phrase just friends because I feel like it it's um, invalidating of a strong connection between two people. Like, Oh, we're just friends. Like, Oh no, no, we're friends. Like we're not just anything. Right. So I, I like that in a just friends in quote um, relationship, they, they do, like you say, lean on each other and um, and need each other for things. And it's it's it makes sense to me in that it was kind of Gina Davis taking the lead for the team that um, eventually got Hanks out of his stupor. You know, there's that great moment mm. where they're both trying to coach Marla and she's walking back and forth, <laughs> yes. back and forth at the plate um, and that. You know, that finally gets to yelling and, and she says, fine, then then coach if you're going to coach. Right. Um, and so I think for me, like that moment really started them, their colleagues. Uh, I think he recognizes in her a talent and what he perceives as a love of the game, um, which is then questioned when when she leaves. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's much more interesting that they are f- friends and they're helping each other and they they want each other to be successful. Um, and, 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 you know, get, um, kind of get everything they want. And I think it, that's kind of then adds to that a little bit of the heartbreak for Tom Hanks when she leaves with her husband. I don't know that he's, you know, uh, upset that she has a husband. I think he's upset that, that she's leaving the game. Cause for him, that is, yes. the you know, that's, that is the love there is he, he lo- is in love with baseball and, and he thought she was too. And and that she can still mm-hmm. play, like right. he, he can't play anymore. And and she's like, you're why he's he could not imagine walking away, or he has such regret for having not been able to continue to play and for the choices he made. And that she she's making that choice in in a different way is, I think, you know, mm-hmm. is, is hurt hurt hurt. So could we you know? talk about that scene more when she leaves? Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah. he seems to not believe her that she, this is what she wants. Where do you mm-hmm. all? F- uh, where? How did that sit with you? Do you uh, agree with uh, Jimmy, the Hanks character, that 
she's doing this because she thinks she should or because she thinks she has to um, or because someone else is, you know, driving the boat or is this what she what she wants? How do you how do you find that dis- that scene and that decision? Um, I guess I'll go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, initially when I first saw that, um, I felt like, oh, yeah, like her her husband's back from war like that's what she really wants is to be with him and he got injured too you know so like maybe she feels like she's lucky to have him back or something and like she needs to go spend time like that that in her quote-unquote old life like that's just you know she wasn't even gonna go and be part of the league like she was fine on the farm and stuff um and then you know upon rewatching, i'm like well what what is going on like she clearly wants to play ball she loves the game like I-, I wondered is she sort of bowing out to let kit get the spotlight at this point and does she come back to sort of convince herself like yes that is in fact what she's gonna do like that what that's what i was thinking about this time during that scene i was sort of out of the moment i guess as it were uh from the scene uh, because my mind was started wandering like what is this what is her motivation at this point i wasn't i wasn't quite sure i couldn't quite read her at that in the in that moment um i have this weird sense that like she had made a vow to herself that she was only going to play baseball till her husband came home and that she wanted to be true to herself now that he was home she was like well i'm going to leave and go do this thing but then part of her was like no i actually really like i, I sort of want to do something for me and I, I don't know i think it's a i think it's a complex decision in a complex scene but i think her, where her heart really lies is you know with the team in a way or with you know, with her sister growing up when i watched this i was very firmly on jimmy's side and i remember mm. thinking it's so stupid like why does she leave that's so dumb you're so close to the end of the season and there's something about making the commitment and staying and your your husband can just go home and you'll be there soon. Like, it'd be fine. Or he could get on the bus with you. If still welcome me <laughs> on the bus, why can't your husband, Bob? Um, Bob. Bob. And, and then maybe it's um, the, the change in, maybe it's because I'm old uh, now, uh, but also it, I think some of it, some of um career stuff and kind of how I interact with people's choices on a daily basis. Um, I was much more uh, on, I don't know what, don't know if it's on Gina Davis's side, but like I interpreted it as um, it's important to let her make this decision. So maybe she did, like Joey said uh, in her mind, have a timeline that had to do with her circumstances. And now that, that's done. She's going to go back. I think there is some obligation um, because she is a wife and that's a, a, a label and identity she takes very seriously. And having it just come off Betty Spaghetti losing her husband, um, I I think I'm m- more empathetic to her um, feeling like they, you know, dodged a bullet and, and, and he didn't dodge it well, right? Because he got hit. Um but um, mm-hmm. but that now we have this time. I need to spend this time together, uh, and so I'm I'm kind of a little bit more on on her side of make whatever choice you need to make, and that's that's the best choice for you. Um, but I absolutely love the idea that they're driving 
And maybe like the more she talks about the experience or the more he asks about what it's like or the more she reflects on that, that they end up turning the car back mm. around. Um, and and I, I love that then she's accepted back, that it's not, you know, that you can't play because you left or, you know, whatever that um, – that she gets to she gets to make that choice, even if it takes her, you know, a, a cross country road trip to to come to the decision that's best for her and ends up back in that game so that we can have that um, sister to sister um, final moment of the World Series. Yeah, I don't want to be in the position of sort of trying to decide what she should or, you know, like uh, judging her decision. I do think though, that the movie, what the, the movie leaves it open enough that, that I think we can in a, in a good way that there's like, you have to think about this and like, what would you do and what should she do? What are the pressures she's facing or, or the loves that she has that are in conflict here? And then it's all kind of messy. And I, I, I think that that's, I think that that's, you know, I think that's really good. I think that the fact that the movie has more than one person tell her that they don't believe that she doesn't love the game as much as they think she does. Both um, Jimmy does that and Kit does that. Her sister does that at the end, says it twice. Um, And I tend to (laughs) believe them (laughs) that I think that I think that she is not. um, I I think I'm not not sort of trying to disrespect her choice. I think that she would regret either way. I think there would be regret and there would be, you know, happiness in both sort of ways of approaching the thing. But I do think that in that moment, she is underestimating. I get the, I get the sense the movies, the movie uh, believes that she's a little bit underestimating how much she's going to miss it, how much she's going to love it and what, how she's going to feel about it. Uh, leaving that's just my my read on the fact that mm-hmm. who's saying that to her well, and how sort of many reinforced i think you're right at the end when she wasn't going to go back for this reunion and then she does and she's so clearly mm-hmm. um i think in the it perhaps she doesn't accept the not it's not advice but doesn't accept that interpretation from others at the time but i think then in you know in the end when we're mm-hmm. in the the um you know, more contemporary scenes, I think you see her accept that this was an important um, chapter in her life and that she was a contributor to an important moment in, you know, baseball or, or even just in United States history that that, that was, um, mm-hmm. that they all did something there and that she's um, embracing that. I don't know if for the first time, but certainly for the first time in a while or, um, or what have you. So Joey, you don't, you'd rather watch actual sports than sporting movies. Uh, What do you think of the final um, play of the world series where it's sister versus sister? And does she catch the ball? Does she drop the ball? Did that work for you? It did. I thought it was very thematically appropriate. I do want to point out that. So there's a couple of things that I was taking note of baseball wise and that final play in today's baseball is actually illegal you can no longer block the plate like gina davis does so that whole like bowling her over would not be allowed today but 1943 Ah. very different game um (laughs) i also i also do want to point out uh while we're on this little subject uh racine field is very clearly wrigley field but they don't call it wrigley field hmm but it's like where the Cubs play. Like it's the it's. I mean, even if none of you have ever watched a Cubs game, I'm sure you all know the 
ivy on the outfield mm-hmm. walls and like mm-hmm. the whole behind home plate is the same even from outside it's it's wrigley field it's just well, they, racine that's, field, so. i didn't clock that because i don't care um but but i know the word <laughs> sure, and no, then um in when i was looking up this and that um today i mean i was working very hard from eight to five but while i was in a meeting and also googling some things um <laughs> it's the the character of the, the chocolate guy harvey in real life was wrigley and and yeah. so maybe okay. that's a, yep. that's a just yep. a little wink to their actual um founder or original owner what have you or gotcha. it's just a good uh signpost for baseball fans i don't know maybe was it there they were calling it harvey field they were calling it racine field maybe that was two different places but i think the, the like the where mm-hmm. they were for a lot of the movie was very clearly written yeah. so if this is based on him then that you know it's it's true to life um the only other thing i want to point out in terms of actual baseball and like history and historical is that when they're at the at the very end after we flash back to current day and they're in Cooperstown and they're you know at the the, the Hall of Fame and they go to that sign for uh Tom Hanks's character and they're like he hit 58 home runs in 1936 uh, like only like three or four players in like all of history uh had hit that many home runs in a season by that point and one of them was like Babe Ruth who'd done like five times so I don't know if he's based on a real person. I didn't do any research into that because I was going to save that for Hanks for the Memories. But um, he would have been like one of the greatest players of all time if uh, he was actually their real player. So, Can I make one more link for this movie for us, for our show? So Gina, Gina Davis does a TV show in 2005 called Commander-in-Chief where she plays a vice president who becomes president uh, directed, created by Rod Lurie, who made the contender, the oh. show, uh, our namesake uh, uh, movie. And he named that character, Gina Davis's character, Mackenzie Allen for Joan Allen. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. So just to bring it all, bring it all back. You know, back. I wonder if Gina Davis called Bill Pullman to talk about how to play a president. <laughs> yes, I hope so. I, I hope so. Um. So since we're somewhat in the, the facts and fiction, if you will, of this, um, does anybody want to play a game? Sure. Yes, please. Yes. So in tonight's game, uh, we are there are, um a couple of components there is a true false component and then um there is a um a price is right component and then uh, finally uh and how many items can you name so there are three short categories and um and i will tell tobin how many points everyone gets so to start off with we're gonna have some true or false are you ready Ready. Or a league of their own. Very, oh boy! Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um. So we saw in the movie, um, uh, that uh, these women had chaperones and were required to um, uh, be charming and and um, ladylike and etc. So true or false? Um, the uh, women in the the real all American, um. Girls Professionals Baseball League were required to wear dresses in public. True or false? 
I'm going to say true. Take an answer from everyone. I'm going to say true also. Am, am I answering true or just keeping score? Uh, you're also answering. Okay, true. All right. Easy first question. You all got it. Indeed. Dang. Yes. Uh, they, their league was um, strict on making sure women acted and behaved like ladies. That's not in quotes on my little form here, but let's put it in quotes. Um, when they weren't in practice or at a game, they were required to wear dress and uh, or skirt and act in a ladylike manner. Let's also put some quotes around there. <laughs> yes. Um, secondly, um, the... Uh, Women in the in this league were fined for smoking in public. Hmm. Oh, that's where the whole thing with May uh, comes in with Madonna, right? When they're like, and no smoking, and yeah, you know, interesting. Hmm. I'm gonna say. Wait, are you, are you asking us, or are you just tell? I'm is that just true or false? Okay. Okay. False. Oh, I'm I thought that, false. I thought that was a statement. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say true that they were that it's all part of the hey. same sort of state lady lady. Yeah. League. Um, so you're saying in public, like in front of other people, not just like when they're together. Yes, I said in public. Um, in they, public. If, if they smoked in public, they would get fined by the league. I'm going to say true as well. That is false. Oof. At that period of time. Yeah. Smoke them if you got them. <laughs> they were, but they um, were not permitted to consume alcohol. Okay. Huh. Oh, I and there's even that one part. There's even that one part where Hanks gives Gina Davis like tobacco, the chewing tobacco. I'd forgot. So mm-hmm. there is, they are promoting smoking and tobacco. Well, this and, and this, to be, to be clear, is is from the uh, a an only mildly reliable source um, about the actual league. So it's not necessarily what what would have been portrayed. But speaking of what was portrayed, thanks for the segue. Um, the charm school montage we have at the beginning um, was based on an actual um, set of lessons that um, the women in the AAGPBL um, were uh, required to attend. True or false? They had to go to charm school. I'm going to say true again. Yeah, as well, I'm going to say true too. I'm going to say false just because it worked for me last time. <laughs> I love it. It was indeed true. Oh, man. We're all tied the up. The league had a, had a charm school all tied up. One more true or false. Um, as uh, you will recall, there was a, a, um, a league victory song uh, portrayed in the film. While the league did, uh, members of the league did make up a song for themselves, it was not the one that they that they used for the movie. They had a song, but the song in the movie was fictitious. I'm, I'm going to agree with that. Oof. Okay, so we've got one true. This is this is a weird question because you like because the the statement sort of contradicts itself almost a little bit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the phrasing, because it's like, well, this part is partially true, but it's also false. Um, Toby, I'm gonna let you go second because I want to sort of know who to side with here. Or okay, if you side yeah. with Mike, then I'm gonna take the other way and you know bet it all on okay. black. Okay, okay. So um, I'm gonna say you tell me whether this is true or false. I'm gonna say that the song in the movie is indeed the song from real life. Okay, so you that are true saying, or false. Okay. You're saying false to the statement that I gave you. Okay, and and Mike said true, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. He said true. 
Okay. He said true that the song in the movie was false. <laughs> now, what's yes. weird is I didn't even think that Tobin's answer was an option to this question. This is... I'm just trying to figure out to say which, because I was just trying to figure out, figure out whether to say it. true or false. Well, I guess, yeah. so I guess there's, yeah. there's really, I guess there's three options, right? Either there was no song at all, <laughs> there was a song and it was the right song, or there was a song and it was the wrong song. I think she's saying there was a song. Was it the song in the movie or not? Oof. So there's no option for there was no song. <laughs> yeah, there is definitely a song. You could um, choose not to answer. <laughs> you, won't, you won't get a point. No, no, no. You won't oh. get a point for that. Mm, I'm going to say it was. I'm going to go with Tobin. It was the song. So you were saying the statement I said it was false. That's right. Yes. All right. The false <laughs> have it. Um, it was a song. The All-American Girls Professional Baseball League's victory song was co-written by LaVon Pepper, Pear Davis, and Nalda Bird Phillips. All right. And it was the song, according to this uh, thing. So that was I thought that was uh, pretty awesome that they incorporated the actual sort of fight song that the that the ladies made up. Okay. That, now th- that song is one that I remember. When they started to sing mm-hmm. it, I'm like, oh, yeah. The All American League. We come from near and far. Yeah. Love it. Okay. I have actually, real quick, I have a question because I was sort of waiting to see if this was a true false. I'm assuming it's true. We might not know. But did it actually happen that there was catch a foul ball, earn a kiss, or get a kiss? I don't know. I don't know, but I think the. Uh, silly promotions are certainly true because it's true yeah. of regular baseball. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I just think of the silly things they do at our, um, you know, farm league one in Missoula. Okay. All right. Great. What's next? The true false portion is over. So next, um, it's a fill in the blank, and I can um I can give you options, or you can go rogue if you'd like. So oh here's the statement. Um, between 1943 and 1954, blank, looking for a number, blank number of women received a chance to play for the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. So it is a, I'm looking for a number. Um, I, I will tell you it's in the hundreds. How many hundred women received a chance to play for this league over its, um, its entire run of, of 11 years? And is this whoever gets closest or closest whoever gets closest without going over? Okay, okay. Ooh. Okay. Hmm. And it, it'll be, I'll give you a two-point win for whoever. Uh, this is oh. like the, the letterbox game on my on my podcast with Joe, too. Like I, I'm not I'm not usually on this side of the, uh, the guessing. This is, <laughs> this is pressure. I'm going to say 300. Okay. I'm going to go a little higher than that. I'm going to say some somewhere more around like 450. One dollar, okay. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike has it. The answer is 600. Oh, I should have gone 451. Oh, I, I, was, I was going to go even higher, but I wasn't quite sure. Sure. Okay. Then finally. All right. Finally. Um, the women were... Uh, asked to or it said the women must have um beauty kits with them at all times and uh, uh the the players 
And I have a list of seven things that they were um, supposed to be carrying in their beauty kits at all times. Can either of you name four of those things correctly? 1943, what would you have in your beauty kit? Who wants to go first? Um, well, Mike's winning right now, I think, by one point. So Yes, he is. Should, yes, he, go he, first is. Or should, he, should he go oh. Should he go last? He should go first, and then we'll see if you all can get the number of points he has at the end. Um, okay. I'm looking for four okay. things. I'll give you one point for any, each of the correct. If any of your four things are correct, I'll give you a point for each of them. Okay. Okay. Um, and they're and this just the beauty kit, so like not the entire purse mm-hmm. or anything, just okay. Um, a mirror. Um, should I just go? Yeah, you just, just name all your four. four. Okay. 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 Name okay. All our four. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say a mirror, a hairnet, n- lipstick, and Q-tips. Those are all Going very there. good things. Um, you get one point for that. Whoa! Okay. Oh, don't. Yeah, don't. But don't. No, don't. Don't, don't, say don't tell me yet, because I'm not going to. I'm just, oh, sorry, sorry. I right, was going to tell you him, one that I know. Yeah, okay. but you don't right. know which one. No, that's but, all I was going to say. Yeah, don't don't tell us anymore. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm going to go. Okay. I'm going to go now. Please. Okay. I I think the one that Mike got right is probably lipstick. I'm going to go lipstick, tweezers. Blush and foundation. Okay. I'm going to say. Uh, ru- uh, I, uh, I'm going to say powder. A, a brush. I guess I'm going to go with lipstick as well. And then I'm going to say rouge or blush. Can I count those as the same thing? I don't know what, what the nomenclature would be in 1943. Great. Excellent. All right. Do you want your points first, or do you want me to tell you what was in the kit? Uh, give us points first. Okay. Um, Joey got three out of four. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Nice. Um, and Tobin got two out of four. Oh! I win! <laughs> um, there could You could appeal the judging on this, Tobin, but... Um, but I, I I feel strongly about it. Um, okay, <laughs> you, could, you could appeal. You could appeal, but the judge don't care. <laughs> <laughs> the Twitter can hash it out for us if you want. Okay, um, so the kits must contain cleansing cream, lipstick, rouge, specifically rouge medium, mm. um, cream deodorant, Ew. Mi- <laughs> mild astringent. <laughs> Face powder, and it says specifically oh. face powder for brunettes. Um, That's three. That's my three. No, you said foundation. No, he said foundation. Okay. I said powder. <laughs> I had rouge, powder, okay, right. a brush, and lipstick. No. <laughs> you're right, Tobin. I got you two mixed up. That's why oh. I wanted to give the points as they happened. <laughs> so I don't win? No, I'm sorry. Nope, you don't win. I win. The last two things are hand lotion and hair remover. But to me, that means um, like nair, not like tweezers. You know what I mean? A product, not a tool. Like they would mm-hmm. say tweezers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Did mm-hmm. nair exist in 1943? No, but I mean, but hair removal. Chemical product. hair removal. Yeah. 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 So I apologize. 
for the um, terrible scorekeeping. (laughs) (laughs) Good work. Good work, everyone. That was a complicated quiz. And thank you for, um, (laughs) for completing all portions of it. I'm on a roll here with these games. I'm just saying. You are. You're amazing. All right. Sorry, Joey. It's okay. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for playing the game. Did I, I guess I did. I tie Mike or did I beat Mike? That's all I want to know. You tied. Okay. You tied. You Ooh, both so have tied. guests tied. Yes. All right. Well, Yay. no last place. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not alone. That's the important thing. That's what we've learned from exactly. this movie, right? Speaking of what we've learned from this movie, now is the time in the podcast where. Uh, we uh, give our final thoughts. Is this movie a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? Joey, what do you think? I'm going to say that it is progressive. I kind of wish that I got to know the characters a little bit more to sort of learn a little bit more about them. I felt like things were a bit rushed, but you know, for a movie that is predominantly women and women in a sport that you don't normally associate women with. Um, I think it's great. Awesome. Thanks. Mike, how about you? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, like, I just think of all the little girls that went and saw this movie or will discover this movie and, you know, go on to become baseball players or athletes in general and stuff and realize that there's nothing they can't do, you know, like this this is great. I like, I like this movie a lot. I'm, I showed it to my niece and nephew. They love this movie, you know, so like I'm keeping it going, <laughs> showing it as much as possible. So yeah. Awesome. I agree. Tobin. Boy, I don't know. This is a tough one. <laughs> just kidding. Silly. Just kidding. Silly. No, just kidding. This is, this is, this is a really fun movie. This is a great movie. This is a, a, a movie you can, there's a four quadrant movie. There's, as Eisen said at the beginning, there's something for everyone in this movie. And I think it's definitely a step forward. Isa, what about you? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, while, you know, I'm always going to have pet peeves about um, particularly, you know, labeling women as slutty, um, I can for I think the strengths outweigh the weaknesses on that. I think um, these um, characters are allowed to be themselves and um, and they're uh, all different and and some of them have unlikable qualities and that's okay. And I, I don't think you see that a lot, even still. Um, I think we can still um, learn things uh, about uh, gender and sports and all that from this movie, even though um, it was in 1992. So, and that um, Penny Marshall, I think directed it beautifully. And um, I thank her for this movie and um I'm sorry she's no longer with us, but um, what a legacy to leave behind. Very well put. That's awesome. Well, next up, our next episode is going to be our first anniversary. Uh, We we will have been doing the show for a whole year, which is cool. Uh, So uh, we are going to bring back an uh, an audience, a a listener, a favorite guest, and have Joe Bolenbaugh back to talk about the movie Copycat with that guy. What's his name? What's that guy's name in that movie? The incomparable Um, Harry Connick Jr., of course. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. And Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter. It's going to be an all-star show. So come back on uh, in two weeks on February 5th for our anniversary show with uh, special guest Joe Bolenbaugh.
Joey, Mike, thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, Joey, where can people uh, where can people find you? Just go to cageclub.me and poke around. That is, you know, our baby. That is where everything that's that I put there. So just go, yeah, just go have fun there. Just there's we have over 800 episodes now. We have 24 programs. Uh, you know, a couple more pending with our uh, West Coast development lead of podcast programming. Um, she's <laughs> contributing one and also helping me find another. So we got more coming. But yeah, go to cageclub.me and just poke around. Awesome. Mike, thanks for coming. Where can people find you? Um, yeah, likewise, over at cageclub.me. I think if you do cageclub.me backslash Mike, um, you'll go to a page and you'll see all the different programs that I'm a part of. So you could just, you know, check me out there. Um, listen to your heart's content and then, you know, discover all the other great shows on the network. Um, you know, hopefully uh, this will be like a gateway episode for some people. <laughs> they'll, they'll hear this and then they'll go see uh, what else the uh, network has to offer. So thanks for listening. Awesome. And Iceland, or do you want to be found these days or are you still hiding out? I'm trying to get back back into it. Um, I haven't I haven't really found any conversations to join on Twitter this week. Um but I'll, I'll try again next week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SassyNerdMT. Um, and, and yeah, there might be um, an Iceland-centric uh, project in the works for the Cage Club Network. Um, I'll, we'll have more to say on that uh, next episode. Ooh, tease. All right. All kinds of reasons to come back next time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington, and you can find us on Twitter at contenders underscore pod or on Patreon at thecontenderspod.com. Special thanks to our members who've joined at the marquee level or above, Carly B., Sean Flynn, and Jeff Addington. Become a member today, connect with other listeners, and support our show. We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows at cageclub.me. And you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at Cage Club Pod. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Aislinn Addington. Am I next? Sorry. Yep. You're next. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Mansey. I'm Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next time on The Contenders. I think it would be funny if we just played the game and then Tobin lost. <laughs> then he'll he'll have all this to go through when he comes back. What should we say about him? See if he listens to the minutes he wasn't here for. Hmm. Can we talk about my least favorite part of the movie? Who yes, please. can yes. guess? Okay. Um, they. Oh, I thought there was more sentence no, coming. Who can, who can guess? guess what my least favorite part was? Oh, I'm not going to try because it sounds like you're going to judge me if I get it wrong. Oh, well, that's always true. But um, <laughs> sorry, uh, only love. Um.